Miriam, thank you so much. Uh, and thank you so much for inviting me. It is a, a tremendous honor um, to be with this group. Um, I love being together with you. I, I, I love it a lot more when it's in person, but even like this, to be able to see your faces and your names is a wonderful thing. The fact that we can join together in this way is a wonderful thing, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, to be with you. I, I, I do want to point out one thing, and that is um, I see lots of friends um, and uh, wonderful people who are here, and um, I also notice some people who normally attend my regular Thursday night class, which is every Thursday night at 7 p.m. So I just want to mention that uh, don't worry because the shear that I want to present to you today is completely different than what I have prepared for uh, Thursday night. So um, it would be great if you join uh, as many as you wish, uh, but it will be all, um, all new uh, material. <clears throat> I'd like to share with you four pieces that are connected around one theme and they cover insights from the first several parshios in the Torah. Bereshis, Noach, Lech Lecha, and a little bit from later as well. Let's start with the Pusik near the beginning in Bereshis. If you're using the Stone Chumash, I'm on page 10, but it's uh, Perak Bey's chapter 2, Pusik Hey, Pusik number 5. So, um, the Torah says as follows. V'chol siyach terem All the plants of the fields had already um, uh, been created on the earth. V'chol esev hasodeh terem yitzmach And all of the grasses of the fields had not yet blossomed because God has not caused it to rain. And there had not been a human being yet to work the land. Now, this Pasuk is very, very curious because this Pasuk is written on the sixth day of creation, just after Adam and Chava are created by Hashem. But Rashi asks the following question. The plants and the trees had been created on the third day of creation. The third day of creation, Hashem created the plants and the trees, the vegetables and the fruits. Now, I'm, that mu I'm not that much of a gardener, but even I know when you plant a tree, the first thing you have to do is you have to water it. When you plant a plant, the first thing you have to do is you have to water it. How is it possible that Hashem would create all of the trees of the world and all the plants of the world and not water them? And only on the sixth day was there rain. Three days later. If Hashem is going to 
go to all the trouble, so to speak, to create an entire universe, a world with plants and vegetables and fruits and trees, why not at the same time provide the nutrients necessary for it to grow? So Rashi says something that is astounding. Paraphrases the Gemara from where, from where this is taken. Rashi says, Even though everything had been created on the third day, the grasses, the plants, the trees, on the third day of creation, nothing grew at all until the sixth day. Rashi says, Kishaba Adam, V'yada, Shehem Tzarech La'olam, when Adam, Adam, was created, and Adam saw that there was a need for everything that God had created in the world, Hispalel Alehem, Adam prayed to Hashem, V'yardu, and it rained, V'yitzmechu ha'ilanos v'hadesha, and the trees and the plants sprouted and blossomed. Now, can you imagine? Hashem goes to the trouble to create every fruit, every tree, every grass, every plant, everything in the world in order to serve mankind. And they would have all died had not Adam come along three days later and decided on his own he'd better daven for rain because otherwise nothing is gonna nothing is gonna grow. I mean just imagine you know sometimes a person's a little bit tired and they sleep through davening. Just imagine Adam says to himself the first day it's my first day I'm a little bit tired I'll daven tomorrow. Everything would have died? Everything would have all the effort that Hashem went to would have been for nothing? Says Rabbi Yeruchim Levavitz, there is a yesod, a fundamental principle that we see here, and this principle is woven throughout the entire Torah, and it goes like this. yesod This is a yesod, a fundamental principle in the entire fabric of creation of the world, she'ein nosnim shum davar that we are not given anything except through prayer. Everything that we have, the only way that we have it is through prayer. Now, I still have to do my part. I still have to do hishtadlus, the effort that I have to put on. I'm not allowed to rely on prayer and simply sit back and do nothing and have it come as a miracle. I'm not allowed to do that. And furthermore, that does not mean that God will grant everything that I daven for because sometimes Hashem's answer to my tefillah is no, that's the answer. But what this does mean is that that which we do receive comes to us through our prayers. Rabbi Yeruchim says 
that you see this repeatedly throughout the Torah. I'll give you an example that comes up in the Parsha in a couple of weeks. The Torah tells us that Yitzchak and Rivka were married and, they, and Rivka was not able to have a child. And the Torah says, Vayetar Yitzchak Lashem Lenochach Ishto and Yitzchak Yetar, he prayed, it's a word for tefillah, for davening, Yitzchak prayed to God, standing opposite his wife, standing opposite Rivka, Ki Karahi, because she was unable to become pregnant, Vayeyaser Lo Hashem, and God answered Yitzchak's prayer. First of all, it's interesting that the same word, Vayetar, and Vayeyaser is the same spelling, the same word, but it's used with two different meanings in the same Pasuk. It refers to prayer and it refers to God responding to the prayer. So it's just interesting how one word can serve that dual purpose. But in any event, here's what's happening. Yitzchak is davening for a child. And he's davening with great energy and great kavana. And Hashem responds to Yitzchak's prayer. And Rivka becomes pregnant. And we know the rest of the story. They give birth to twins, Esav and Yaakov, and we know the rest of the story. But Rashi points out, the Medrash points out, the word lo, vayeyaser lo Hashem, God answered his prayer, meaning God specifically responded to the prayer of Yitzchak. One of the questions that Rashi deals with is, why did God specifically respond to the prayer of Yitzchak and not the prayer of Rivka? She was also praying. Let's leave that to the side for now. But hold on just a minute. What do you mean that God provided a child to Yitzchak and Rivka because he responded to Yitzchak's prayer. Hashem had already promised children to Yitzchak. Hashem had told Avraham earlier in the Torah, Ki bi Yitzchak yikarel chazara. Yitzchak will be the one through whom you will have descendants. So Hashem had already promised that Yitzchak would have children. Why does the Torah say now, that God is providing a child because of Yitzchak's prayer? That's Rabbi Yeruchim's Yesod. Even if something is going to happen, even if Hashem had already promised it, prayer is needed in order to make it happen. Let me give you a practical example of this what this would mean for us in our own lives if we internalize this message. Every one of us, <clears throat> many of us, we extend and expend great effort and energy in raising our children, raising our grandchildren, maybe even our great-grandchildren, and we go to great lengths and great efforts 
choosing the right school, raising them the right way, providing the right role models, creating the right environment for them, the right friends for them, the right experiences, all of the things that go into raising a child. And, and additionally, every Friday night, many of us have the minhag, the custom, to give a bracha to our children, to bless our children. But did it ever occur to anyone that the bracha that we give to our children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren on Friday night, that that bracha, that tefillah, that that is the primary thing that we do to raise our children properly. And everything else that we do, everything else is just the hishtadlis that we're required to put in. But it actually happens as a result of our prayer. We may not look at it like that, but according to Rabbi Yerucham, that is, in fact, the truth. And once we understand Rabbi Yerucham's yesod, this fundamental principle, we have to look at our own prayer differently. Because based on this, prayer is no longer just one of many religious activities in the course of our day. But it is rather the means by which everything that we have comes to be. And that is built into the fabric of creation. So when we ask this famous question, famous question that we ask about prayer, Classic question. A person, God forbid, gets sick and we daven for them, we pray for them. A person is not able to have a baby, God forbid, and we daven for them, we pray for them. Why should prayer help? If God wants the person to get well, God will help the person get well. If God does not want the person to get well, why should my prayer make a difference? If I'm praying for something, why should I have to pray for it? If God wants to provide it, let him provide it. If God does not want him to provide it, why should my prayer make any difference? So there are a number of important classic answers to that question. But one of them is the line that is in the Medrash. The Medrash says, on commenting on the fact that within Bereshis, our matriarchs, all of our matriarchs, at some point were unable to have a child when they wanted, wanted to. And the Medrash says, why were these righteous women made to go through the torment of infertility when they did? <coughs> says the Medrash, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Mis'ave God desires the prayers of the righteous. In other words, God created the world in such a way to be able to have a connection between God and mankind. And that connection is through prayer. And therefore, God structured the world and everything in it and everything that happens in it to occur through prayer in order to create this relationship between God and man, which is the purpose 
for which God created the world. Let me share with you a story. Many years ago, I had the privilege to know a very great man, Rav David Kronglas, a blessed memory. He was the mashkiach of my yeshiva near Yisrael in Baltimore. The truth is, I only knew him briefly. He passed away just a few months after I arrived in Baltimore in yeshiva. And the truth also is that I was much too young to fully appreciate him. But all the same, he has and continues to have a powerful influence in my life all these years later through the little that I was able to see and hear from him and what I have learned from him and about him since that time. He was a man of pure Torah and righteousness. No guile, nothing false. The stories that are told about him are legendary. And this is one of the absolute best stories. So I did not have the privilege to hear this story firsthand. I heard this from someone who was older than me, who had been in yeshiva for years before I came. And he told the following story. He said, in the yeshiva, so of course, Every morning, there's davening. It starts whatever time it was. 7 o'clock, 7.30, I don't remember. Every morning, there's davening. There was a student in the yeshiva who was very, very smart and excelled exceedingly in his Talmudic studies. But he didn't come to davening. He did not attend the minyan. If he came, he came late or he slept through it and he didn't come. One time, Rav David Kronglas was speaking and he was speaking to the entire yeshiva about the importance of coming to Davin with a minion. You know, one of the lessons that I personally have gained and many people have gained, perhaps you've had this experience over the last number of months, is to really appreciate the opportunity to be able to pray with a minion. I don't take it for granted anymore because it was taken away for reasons of safety and even now it may be limited in our lives or withheld from us for reasons of safety. It's not something that we could take for granted. So in any event, this is years and years ago before any such thing could ever be imagined. And Rabdavid was speaking about how important it is to attend Minyan, to come to Davin with a Minyan. Now this student, who almost never came, this student was sitting in the front row, and this student was determined, I am not going to let this speech get to me. I'm not listening, I'm not paying attention. Of course, this was internal, Didn't wasn't disrespectful, God forbid, but he in, internally, I'm not gonna let this affect me, I'm going on with my life, 
the way it is. I like learning. I don't find it easy to come to the minion. That's just how it's going to be. Rav David shared the halacha, by the way, it's a halacha, that if a person, I'm not sure that this is really applicable or would be helpful today, but in Shulchan Aruch it says that if a person refuses to come to Minyan, maybe it's discussing a case where uh, a man is needed to help make a Minyan. Without him, there will not be a Minyan. But in any event, the, the, the Shulchan Aruch says uh, that the community can impose a fine, a financial penalty for not coming to Minyan. All right, maybe it's a new way of structuring our membership dues. I'm not sure. But then Rav David said the following. He said, I know that some of you, some of your, some of you students, I know you don't come to Minyan in the morning because when you wake up, it's cold and the floor is cold and it's uncomfortable for you to walk on a cold floor. And Rudavid says, if any of you feel like that, I want you to know that I would gladly come to your room in the morning and lay down on the ground so that you can walk on top of me and not get your feet cold. And Rabdavi began to cry. And this student, who is now an older, middle-aged man, said when he told this story, the boy was me, and since that day, I have never once missed attending a minion. That's just the beginning of what it means to try to live with this truth of Rabbi Yerucham Lubavitz. <clears throat> Let me continue this theme with an insight into last week's Parsha, the Parsha of Noah. <coughs> <coughs> The Torah says at the beginning of the Parsha, famous first line of the Parsha, Eileh told us, Noach, these are the generations of Noach, Noach ish tzadik, tamim hayabedar asav, Noach was a tzadik, he was righteous, pure, perfect in his generation. There is no other person in the entire Torah where God himself says that he is a tzaddik. Notwithstanding that, as I'm sure you know and have heard and you reviewed last week, many of our sages find fault with Noah. And he is compared unfavorably to Avraham. Rashi says, in discussing the character of Noah, that Noah was mamin ve'enomamin. He believed and he did not believe. 
So, first of all, that's that's astounding. A person that God himself calls a tzaddik and tamim to say that he believed in God, but he also did not believe in God. That's just, it's, it's astounding. So, I gave one answer in my class last Thursday night, but I want to share something different. Rashi says, Mamin ve'eno mamin. He believed and he did not believe. What does that mean? I mean, he believed halfway, but he did not believe the other halfway. What, is, what does the phrase mean? So I want to share with you an insight of Rushlomo Karbach. Rushlomo Karbach understands it differently. He says the phrase means there was something that Noach did believe, but there was something that Noach did not believe. So it doesn't mean he was partially a believer. It means that there was something, one area where Noach was a mamin, a believer, and a different area where Noach was not a mamin, not a believer. And he explains it as follows. Noach believed in God. He was a mamin. He believed there is a God. What God says is true. He was 100% a believer. But he did not believe that God believed in him. Concerning God believing in him, Noach was an enormamen. He was a non-believer. In other words, Noach believed in God. If God says there's going to be a flood, there's going to be a flood. No question whatsoever. But Noach figured, Hashem decided, there's nothing to do. I can't change God's mind. There's no point in me praying to God to change his mind. God doesn't change his mind because of me. Yes, I believe in God. I'm a mamin that there is a God and God has decided and what God told me is going to happen. But I'm an enomamin. I do not believe that God listens to me. And therefore, Noah did not pray to God to avert the flood. He spent 120 years, according to our sages, building an ark and preparing for what God said, that he believed completely. But he did not believe that he had any potential to change God's mind. Avram understood differently. Avram was a mamin, he believed in God, but he was also a mamin, he understood that God believed in him. When God tells Avram, I'm going to destroy the entire inhabitants of Sodom, Avram said to himself, why is God telling me this? It must be that God wants me to try to avert it through prayer. In other words, what Avram understood and Noah did not understand is that God brings things into our lives in order to elicit our prayers so that God can change his mind as a result of our prayers. 
That's what Noah did not understand. And that's what we must understand about the nature of prayer and how God created the world with the rule with the role of prayer woven in to the fabric of creation. When we talk about prayer, of course, every prayer is valuable and beloved to God. But in halakhic terms, when we talk about tefillah, prayer, we're referring to the Amidah, the Shemon Asrei. Everything else in our prayer service leads up to the Amidah or leads us back down from the Amidah. Our sages tell us that although all prayers should be said carefully, with concentration, with understanding, but the first paragraph of the Amidah requires additional, special kavana, special understanding and intensity. So let's spend a few minutes to try to understand this first paragraph a little bit more deeply. The Amidah begins, Baruch Atah Hashem Elokeinu Elokeinu Blessed are you God, our God, and the God of our forefathers. Elokei Avraham, Elokei Yitzchak, Elokei Yaakov. Hashem is the God of Avraham, the God of Yitzchak, the God of Yaakov. Notice that we do not say Hashem is the God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, but we repeat the word, the God of Avram, the God of Yitzchak, and the God of Yaakov. They were not separate gods, God forbid. It's all one God. But each of them had their own personal relationship with God, their own unique relationship with God. Every one of us has our own unique relationship with God. Towards the end of the paragraph, we say the following words. Melech, Ozer, Umoshia, Umagain. God is a king, a sovereign, who is an Ozer, and a Mashia, and a Magain. God is a Ozer, a helper, Moshia, a savior, Magain, a protector. In our parsha this week, in Lech Lecha, we start to see God within this role, helping and saving and protecting Avram and Sarah. But coming back to the text of the Amidah, Ozer Umoshia Umagain, the terms are almost synonyms. What's the difference between an Ozer? a Moshiach, and a Mage. So, we have an insight from the Vilna Gon, Rabbi Elio of Vilna. He says something very, very important. He says that sometimes we try to do something good and God helps us to be able to do that. That's when God is an Ozer, a helper. Sometimes we don't try at all to do something good, but God does it 
for us. In that case, Hashem is a Moshia, a Savior. But sometimes we try to do something that we think is good, but it's really bad. We think it will be good for us, but the truth is it will actually be bad for us. And in that case, then God helps us by thwarting us. God helps us by being a mugain, a protector. God protects us from our mistakes. This is a tremendously important lesson for when we experience that God does not provide the answer to our prayers that we think is what is best for us. Sometimes it's so clear to us that what we are praying for is really not only what we want, but what we need. Sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we are not able to see what is really best for us. And in those cases, that's when God is a mugging. He thwarts and protects us from what we are trying to achieve that is actually not the best thing for us. The first paragraph of the Amidah concludes, Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you, God, Magain Avraham, the protector of Avraham. Blessed are you, God, the protector of Avraham. Now, that last line, that bracha, is called the chasima, which means the ending. It's the ending of the paragraph. Every paragraph in the Amidah has a chasima, an ending to the paragraph. Then you go on to the next paragraph. <clears throat> if the paragraph started out, Elokei Avram, Elokei Yitzchak, and Elokei Yaakov, why does it end Magain Avram? only referring to God's protecting Avram. I mean, after all, God also protected Yitzchak and Yaakov. If the paragraph begins by referring to the three patriarchs, why doesn't it end by referring to the three patriarchs? <clears throat> I think it's a good question, and I will tell you the truth. I do not have an answer to this question. So if you come up with an answer, if you have an answer, or you find an answer, I would be interested to hear your answer because I think it's a good question and I don't know an answer. But I would like to share with you a non-literal, allegorical answer. It's given by the Sefer B'nai Yisachar. Some people pronounce it B'nai Yisachar. It does not fully explain the problem in the text that I'm asking, but it does contain a very deep message that is especially appropriate to our generation, and I will suggest to you especially, especially appropriate to us today. Each of the Avos, each of the patriarchs has a Mida, a special characteristic by which they are exemplified. Though 
all of them excelled in serving God in many ways. Each one of them had his own special way of serving God. Their own particular media in which they excelled beyond all others. Avraham excelled in serving God through chesed, acts of kindness to other people. Of course, the others did the same as well, but Avram excelled in that area. Yitzchak excelled in the area of avoda, of sacrifice and prayer. Yaakov excelled in the area of serving God through Torah study. Now, all three of these areas of serving God, these paths of serving God, all three are integral to Jewish life. But they are not all widespread throughout our history. If you look around today in our generation, there are a large number of Jews who are removed from prayer. They are distant from any kind of meaningful, heartfelt, spiritual connection with God. They're still Jews, of course. There's no question about that. But prayer is not a part of their lives. There are a large number of Jews today who are removed from Torah study. They're removed from allowing the wisdom of Torah to illuminate their lives. A large number of Jews just have no connection to that. But if you look around the world today, even among Jews who are not involved regularly in prayer and they're not involved regularly in Torah study, you will find that chesed, acts of kindness, and tzedakah, acts of charity and generosity, remain a hallmark of Jewishness even when there is no other religious or spiritual involvement in their lives. You know that there's a famous phrase, we use it in our davening, in the, in the tefillah of Aleinu, tikkun olam. You may know that there's a bit of dispute over that phrase, because originally, for example, within the context of the prayer of Aleinu, tikkun olam letaken olam b'machu shakai means to uh, repair the world for God's sovereignty. It is a spiritual repair. Nowadays, when people use the phrase tikkun olam, usually they mean social justice, tzedakah, acts of kindness to other people. There are some people who actually criticize the, what they consider to be the misuse of that phrase because it should be something that is spiritual and religious and it has been diminished to something that is only social. Okay, personally, I don't see it that way. Personally, I find that we should be very proud that even within this evolved meaning of the phrase tikkun olam, that it is something that is a hallmark of the Jewish people. But here's the point of the B'nai Yisachar. 
It's no accident. It has become, he says, as we reach the chasima, which means the end of the paragraph, but metaphorically it also means the end of days before Mashiach comes. The end of days before the Messianic era. Baruch Atah Hashem, blessed are you God, Magain Avraham, you protect the Midah, the characteristic of Avraham. God protects and maintains this characteristic within us and within the Jewish people, even though God has chosen not to protect the Midah, the characteristic of Yitzchak of prayer or the characteristic of Yaakov of Torah study, but in our day God continues to protect and maintain within the Jewish people the Midah of Avraham, of Chesed, of Tzedakah. And we see it today. Today, we are prevented from fulfilling many mitzvos. Some of them we are prevented from fulfilling at all. Some of them we are prevented from fulfilling the way that we would want to because of the requirement to watch out for safety and to protect our health. For many of us, tefillah is not the same as it was before COVID or hopefully will be. For many of us, prayer is shorter Maybe it is not in shul. Maybe it is not with a minion. Other mitzvahs we are not able to fulfill. Spending time with our family. The mitzvah bikr cholim, of visiting people who are sick, it's such a, 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 a painful thing that we're not able to do that. And of course, people suffer when they are sick and they're not able to be visited and they're alone. Being able to go out of our homes to study Torah together. Being able to go out of our homes to gather to support important causes. Now, of course, Baruch Hashem, thank God, as we are doing right now, there are creative options to be able to study Torah and to support important causes even remotely. But there are a lot of things that we are not able to do the way that we would want to do them. I think we should think about this like we think about Shabbos. On Shabbos, there are a number of restrictions on what we're allowed to do. And the reason that we are restricted from, exempted from so much of our normal activity on Shabbos is in order to free us to be able to pursue other pursuits that we do not have time for during the week. But because we're, there's so much that we're not doing on Shabbos, now we're able to engage in these activities on Shabbos. There's so much of our religious lives that we are not able to do the way that we would want to right now. So how do we fill our time? Well, we can make sourdough bread. We can organize our cabinets. We can watch Netflix. Or 
we can spend extra time on chesed, on acts of kindness to other people. Spending some time every day calling other people who are at home is an amazing act of kindness. One of the things that we have learned is how important it is to create whatever kind of a connection we can create. Getting together on Zoom, even to have coffee together. Or maybe in the evening to have a drink together. Does so much to lift people's spirits. If we are able to, and it is safe for us to do so, to be able to go out to do errands for people, shopping, or other errands for those who are not able to get out, We can also still make a little bit of sourdough and also watch Netflix a little bit. But the opportunities for chesed today, even from home, have never been greater or more needed. This is our time to make use of the chasima, the ending of this paragraph of Magain Avraham, to recognize that God has protected within us, even at that time when God has taken away from us certain aspects of prayer, and God has taken away from us certain aspects of Torah study. But God has preserved within us the opportunity and the ability to do acts of chesed and kindness and generosity for others like never before. This insight of the B'nai Yisoskar is not a literal answer to the textual question of the end of this bracha. But it contains such an important message that every single one of us can put into practice right now. Because that midah, God continues to protect right now. My friends, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you. And I look forward to being with you next week. And I wish you all a wonderful day. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And I look forward to studying with you. And Miriam, thank you very, very much.